We are in part five, part five of our series that we're calling Saul to Paul, a Good Hope vision series. And we go over our vision statement in the vision series, and it's just reach up, rise up, reach out, because, you know, a real relationship with the living God is available to you. That's reach up. We want to make that connection with God. You know, and that can be just you initiating relationship by asking Jesus to come into your heart. You ask for forgiveness of sins and you pledge your life to follow Christ. That gets you started. And we continue that relationship with worship, with prayer, with studying the word and learning about the Lord and and living it out, which brings us to rise up. A real relationship with the living God will change you as we learn the things of God. We grow in the things of God. It's the old, they used to call it sanctification, you know. Now it's more just like, hey, let's get good at following Jesus. Because let me tell you, the incompetent Christian life is a frustrating life where you you know the blessings you should be receiving, but you can't get them because you're not living in a way that allows you to access that. You can't receive the good things of God because you're sabotaging yourself. So, like, we don't want to be bad at following Jesus. We want to be good at it. We want to rise up out of the garbage that's been holding us back our whole lives, and we want to rise up into what Christ has for us, our full potential. And then that brings us to reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. We are called to make a difference in this world. And so when we make that connection with God, we become His children. We bear fruit for the kingdom of God is part of the deal. Reach up, rise up, reach out. We want to make a connection with God, grow in our faith, and make a difference in this world. So that's what it's all about. Last week, you know, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul, his his conversion experience, some of the things that have happened in his life. And last week, we talked about Paul as the mentor. This week, I'm kind of doing, uh, it's going to take me two weeks to get through this last topic. So part five and part six will be on the same topic. And we'll finish up our series and then we'll have a special speaker the following week. But uh, last week, Paul, the mentor, this week, run in such a way as to win the prize. Paul calls all of us up to follow Jesus like someone trying to win an athletic competition. So immediately after he does the, I become all things to all people, so by all possible means I might save some, after he does that little speech in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, then in verse 24, this is immediately after he says the all things to all people thing, then He says this in verses 24 through 27, 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Try to be the best. The best of all the runners run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, have you ever run in such a way as to get the prize, as to win the prize? You know, not just like I'm participating, you know, like, but running to win. How am I going to win? How am I going to make this happen? How am I going to accomplish it? 
you know, running in uh, such a way as to win, you know, like that's a battle. And it's one of the reasons why I love high school sports, college sports. It teaches young people how to win. It teaches you how to lose too. You know, in our world, there's no losers, uh, you know, and I don't know, it's a little tough, but real life is more like sports now. <laughs> in the old days, it was a diversion from real life. But now it's like, you know, you need to learn when you're 12 that sometimes you try as hard as you can and you still lose. You need to learn that. You need to learn that dedication will sometimes cause you to win, but sometimes you still lose and that you have to fight past where you thought you could go in order to succeed. Like this is, it's so important. It's why I love high school and college sports. You know, when I was a kid, wrestling was my sport. You know, I loved it. I loved wrestling. I don't know how I got through high school without wrestling. I wrestled in, you know, elementary school and high school and in college. And I just loved wrestling. It was my favorite sport. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, I'll tell just one quick wrestling story. This is actually a match that I lost in college, but it made such an impression on me. I was wrestling a dude named, uh, Kevin bird and he was really good. And I noticed that he was open for a takedown. So like you start both standing there and if you can take the other guy and put him on the ground and control him, then you get two points, and that's super good. But if you put him on his back, you might get more points, and you could even win right there in the moment. And he was just kind of, you know, he was like, I don't know, 30 and one or 30 and two the year before. I mean, he was really, really good. And so he's just kind of standing there, and I'm like, I could shoot a double leg on this guy. And so, I thought, well, I don't know. I mean, I was a freshman, I think. Yeah, I was a freshman. And I thought, well, whatever. I'm just going to take the shot. So I took the shot and I picked him up on my shoulder. I got him up here. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And my favorite thing at that point was to switch the guy this way. So his legs are here. His stomach is up here, you know, and, uh, I switch him like this and grab the other leg that makes him so that he's going to fall over, you know, onto the ground, but they don't let him fall. So they'll grab your head. They grab your head. Then you can grab their head. You bring them down and then you can put them right on their back and pin them. And ah, I used to dream about doing that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this to Kevin Bird. You know, I turned the thing. I reached around. I went to the mat. But when I went to the mat, I hit my head on the mat. And all of a sudden, everything, you know, kind of went. Poosh, poosh. And then I looked up and he's standing 10 feet away. I'm like, what just, <laughs> what just happened here? You know, and I analyzed it in my mind over and over and over again. What happened was when I switched him like this, instead of grabbing my head, I think he put his hand on top of my head and then he pushed my head underneath him. So when we landed, instead of me landing on top of him about to pin him, I landed on my face and he rolled away. I'm like, dude, that is so good. You know, it was so neat to uh, wrestle somebody with that level of skill to where I just was completely confused as to what even happened. That was so much fun. But there's so many things that you can learn and one of those things is learning how to fight through adversity to win, to accomplish something, to get get the job done. And to expand the analogy a little bit, you know, you ever accomplish something amazing? Because, you know, sports, I think, are cool, but uh, so is writing a book, you know, building a house, you know, composing music, writing a song, you know. Uh, being the the lead in a play, you know, starting a business and and getting it to fly. And I mean, like, there's so many ways to accomplish amazing things in this life. Have you ever accomplished something amazing? 
You know, what did it take to succeed? It took drive and wisdom. It took opportunity, sacrifice, talent, consistency, hard work, so many different things. Now, what if every person who considered themselves a Christian followed Jesus in that way? in such a way as to win the prize, in such a way as to get the business going, in such a way as to write the novel, write the book, and in such a way as to, you know, do the thing that that is in your heart to do that wakes you up in the morning and, and gets you through life. Like, what if we followed Jesus like that? Man, that would be fun. You know what I mean? I give you way more fun to be a pastor if everybody was jumping and chomping at the bit to try to go after Jesus like that. You know, and I just got to say to you, don't be content riding the pine when it comes to, you know, following Jesus. You know, if you're if you're wanting to run in such a way as to win the prize, you know, that means that you're in the game. That means that you're there, you're competing. You know, and too many Christians, I think, are just sort of waiting it out. You're like, well, I don't know. You know, I kind, I kind of believe, yeah. So I guess I'm good. You know, like that, that. Try to win. Try to be the best. You know, don't be content riding the pine. Get in the game. Here at at church, uh, we're having a ministry buffet. You know, this will be the last week of it. Three times we put our all our job descriptions and volunteer things and all that out, and we have candy and. All the different uh, ministry leaders try to recruit volunteers and stuff like that. And it's kind of fun. You know, it's, maybe it's time to start serving the Lord in some tangible way. You know, starting a Bible study at your house or making it, uh, you know, to where you pray for five people and shoot them a text once a week and say, hey, praying for you. You know, do something. Also, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. You know, we did uh, talk about, we prayed for pastors uh, earlier in our one minute blessing time, you know, prayed for the open churches and for God to uh, send workers into the harvest field. But again, I want to make an appeal to the staff pastors here because let me tell you, I've done ministry alone and it is way better having a team. You know, it's a big deal. We've got a fantastic team. We've got Ryan who makes all of this stuff possible. I mean, all I do is turn on the camera and the of the sound and the computer. And and then I'm like, dude, I, I recorded a thing. And he's like, okay, I got it. And he puts the whole service together. He does, you know, CW, YouTube. He does our podcasts. He does all the website stuff. He's amazing. You know, then we got Pastor Kayla who does all our kids stuff. She's awesome. And she's got a great team that's serving with her. Then we've got um, Pastor Celia, who does all kinds of amazing things, all kinds of different things. You know, she's preached here a couple times now. Then we've got Tom and Gabby, Pastor Tom, Pastor Gabby, our youth pastors. They're great. They do an amazing thing. They just had a campfire outside, a little campfire worship on a nice warm Wednesday night here in the fall. It's fantastic stuff. You know, we've got my wife, Trinette, who does all our administration. She's pretty awesome. Then we've got Heather, our worship leader, you know. She also does all our mission stuff. We got Pastor Nicole, who uh, is our connections pastor. She's fantastic. You know, Mike Jurek does all our maintenance. We got Carol Golan heading up the cleaning team. Like, we got all kinds of awesome people that are doing so many things. And I just, I just am so thankful. It's just amazing. So I just want to do a shout out for them. 
If you want to send in a little pastor appreciation thing to Good Hope Church, send it for a staff pastor. You can look, I think, on our website, you know, and you can find out who all the staff pastors are. I kind of listed a bunch of people there real quick, but, you know, I'm good. Hallelujah. You know, but a lot of our staff pastors are serving on a very sacrificial level. So if you want to remember somebody during Pastor Appreciation Month, I encourage you to think of our Good Hope Church staff pastors. All right, let's get back to it. So run in such a way as to win the prize. And besides, it's way more fun to run in such a way as to win the prize than be like, do I have to go to practice? Do I have to run the race? Well, okay, you know, like that's no fun. Try to win. Even when you lose, it's fun, fun to compete. It's amazing to try so hard and to see somebody do so much better. You're like, wow, that guy's awesome. How does he do that? You know, it's just so much fun. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he didn't just call people up in 1 Corinthians 9. He also ran in such a way as to win the prize. Let's go to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, Paul is talking about things that he's done and how he's kind of viewing life and serving the Lord. So let's read Philippians 3, 7 through 14 and get another picture of what Paul is talking about. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he is talking about forgetting about what's behind, pressing on towards the goal, trying to win the prize, you know, striving for that, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this is the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, And in part three of our series, we talked about that there was something important that happened in Philippi when Paul and Silas were there. They went through some trials. They went through some hardships. And I want to go there and just read through that account in the book of Acts because it really helps inform what's going on. Because, you know, these can just seem like words on a page and nice little ideas. But when you know somebody's gone through something and they fought through and they've made it, then, you know, it, it, it gives so much more credibility to what's being said. So Paul is, is talking about forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. And the 
church in Philippi knew Paul. He was in Philippi. He planted, started the church there. You know, like he was there. How did this all happen? Let's go to Acts. We're going to be in chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. We're going to start early on, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. How did they end up in Philippi? Well, here we go. Acts 16, 6. We'll read, we'll start with 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they hit in roadblocks, and the roadblocks don't seem to be the devil getting in the way. You know, the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching in Asia. Then we see that they tried to enter Bithynia, or Bithynia, I'm not sure how to say it, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they're hitting roadblocks on their ministry opportunities, you know, and and this is right after the Barnabas thing and all of that. And so, you know, like, yeah, okay, I wonder if there's anything going on with that. But we got now they end up in Macedonia in Philippi. So let's read what happens there. Verse 11, 11 through 15. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Somathrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So Philippi is in Macedonia. Paul had had a vision uh, or a dream of a man of Macedonia come and help us, so he's going to go help. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate to the river where he expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So if there weren't enough Jewish people to have a synagogue, they would have usually a place of prayer by the river. I, I, that's what somebody told me. So I think that's why that's here. They, they went to the river, see if there was a place of prayer. They met some women who had gathered there. Verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay, so now they're in Macedonia, uh, the region of Macedonia, the city of Philippi, and it's going well. They met uh, these women that were part of this prayer group. And they had, you know, Lydia was like, yeah, I think Jesus is sounds awesome. I'm in, you know. And so she gets baptized or her family gets baptized. And she's kind of taking them in and they're, they're working together now. You know, Lydia is, is helping them out. Then verse 16, they run into some trouble. So 16 through 24, you know, the tide kind of turns on the good fortune that is happening here. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many days. So I remember the first time I read this, I'm like, what's wrong with her saying these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved? Well, she was shouting. It was probably in a mocking tone, and it was definitely disrupting the meeting. You know, I mean, so instead of letting them preach, she just kept shouting this stuff. She kept following them around. So it was getting to be a distraction, getting to be a, a difficult situation. So verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they they weren't like, ah, you know, she's still good. She can still predict the future. They're like, oh, no, it's ruined. She can't do this anymore. You know, the spirit is gone. And you know, it was a demonic spirit, you know, it's gone. So there was no quarreling over whether or not this miracle actually happened. It happened, but they were mad about it. They're like, what are you doing messing with us, you know, and messing with her? Now we can't make any money. So they go grab Paul and Silas, drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. If you remember from, uh, was it 2 Corinthians, you know, five times the, the 40 lashes minus one and three times beaten with rods? Oh, here's one of those. So they're beaten with rods after they had been severely flogged. So I don't, I wouldn't want to be flogged, you know, in, in the Roman, ancient Roman world. And I wouldn't want to be severely flogged in the ancient Roman world. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So... Okay, it was going all right with Lydia. Things were kind of going well. Now they cast the demon out of the girl. She can't predict the future anymore. And so her owners can't make any money off of the girl. So they get all mad and they're like, these guys are bad. They get beaten and thrown in prison with their feet in the stocks. Now, how would you respond if that happened to you? What would you do? What would you think? And then here's the question. What does it mean to run in such a way as to win the prize in a situation like that? You've been trying to, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. You get made fun of. You cast a demon out of a girl. That's got to be good for her. But then now she can't make the money for her owners because she's a slave and all this mess happens. You're just trying to help people know that God loves them and, and share the good news of the gospel. They get beaten with rods, thrown into the inner cell of the prison, their feet in the stocks. I've never tried to sleep with my feet in the stocks after being severely beaten with rods. I can't imagine that. You know, and Silas has got to be thinking, wow, this is more than I bargained for. You know, how would you react and what does it mean to run in such a way as to win the prize in that situation? Well, let's find out. Verses 25 and 26. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas's response to their situation was to sing hymns to God and pray. They didn't question God. They didn't whine and cry. They, you know, they didn't start looking for other <laughs> ways to, uh, to live. They were singing hymns to God. They're having some worship. They're worshiping God and they're praying and they're in the inner cell. So the whole prison can hear. Everyone can hear. They're running in such a way as to get the prize, to be the best, to do everything they can. They're celebrating the goodness of God after being beaten and imprisoned. Their feet in the stocks. That's their response. And here's God's response, the next verse. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So whose chains came loose, Paul and Silas? Everyone's chains came loose. Now, that's an amazing thing, that all of the chains came loose. You know, God didn't just set free Paul and Silas. He set everyone free. Now, something very different happened than when Peter was in prison and the angel wakes him up and says, hey, let's get out of here, you know, and, and the chains come off, the doors open, out they go, and Peter actually leaves the prison, and the next morning they're like, where's Peter? You know, something very different happens here, something quite remarkable. Verse 27, so everybody's chains just came loose, the doors flew open, the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So much happened there. So the jailer wakes up. He sees that the prison doors are open. And he's going to kill himself because he's responsible for these prisoners. So he's going he's gonna to have to die. So he's just going to kill himself right there. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So not only were they all there, but Paul knew they were all there. And just after that, the, the jailer calls for lights. It's still dark. It's nighttime. You know, very poor lighting. I don't know if the moon was out or what, but it was bad lighting. You know, it's midnight. The light, no lights are on. And Paul knows that everyone is still there. All their chains come off. The doors are open. Let me ask you, if you were in a Roman prison and it was midnight and your chains came off and the doors open, what would you do? You, you, you'd be... One with the night. You're out. You're out of there because that's not a good place to be. You're going to move somewhere else. You know, you're never going back there. But all of them stayed. So what does that mean? The only explanation I can think of is that all the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas and they were moved because they're prisoners. They know what it's like. And they're like, these guys are rejoicing in their God and they're, they're praying and they're singing hymns. And like, what, what do you have? Who are you? And of course, the jailer here, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Obviously, they've been preaching the gospel because they're talking about salvation because the jailer knows to ask that question. 
What do I need to do to have what you have? What I think must have happened is that all of the prisoners got saved because if they didn't get saved, then they would have left. And I think Paul said, hey, everybody, don't leave. We got something important we've got to do right here. There's somebody that needs our help. I need you to not leave this prison. And then everybody stayed. They said, all right, Paul, we're staying. We're all going to stay. And he told the jailer, we're all here. Don't hurt yourself. God didn't just do this miracle so you would hurt yourself. But we're showing you what it means to love somebody by all staying. And they all stayed. That's, that's revival, man. That is a move of God. That is the spirit falling on a prison and people having their hearts completely changed when they could just run out into the night. Now they're going to stay to benefit the jailer. That's amazing. So here's the response of the jailer, what they said to the jailer, and then the jailer's response to what they said in the jailer's kindness. So the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, that open wounds from the beating with rods, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So, Everyone in his family was baptized. He's filled with joy. He went from maybe an interesting day at work where we got some notorious prisoners that we put in the inner cell with their feet in the stocks to he's about to kill himself. I mean, he's not just suicidal. He has resolved like it's gone down in a bad way. I am done. But instead, all the prisoners stay, not just Paul and Silas, but everybody else too, and he sees the love of God and who God is, the power of God. And so he gets baptized. He, you know, believes in Jesus, his whole household, and he's filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. So that's just amazing. What an amazing story. Then the next day when the sun comes up, Paul kind of stands up for himself a little bit. And he's like, yeah, they want to let us go. They have them come and escort us out, you know, because he, he's a Roman citizen. You can't be just beating Roman citizens. So anyway, he does stand up for himself later in the chapter. So we go back to Philippians 3. Again, Philippians, Philippi, the people of Philippi are Philippians. And so the, the book of Philippians is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, which I imagine some of these prisoners who were saved, became part of the church in Philippi with Lydia and who knows who all else. But Paul is writing to people who saw him experience what he did. They saw him overcome. They saw him run in such a way as to win the prize. So how does that inform us when we read Philippians 3, 13 and 14? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward 
in Christ Jesus. They would say, yes, you do press on toward the goal to win the prize. You do, like, yeah, got beaten pretty bad a few hours ago, but I'm worshiping God now. I'm praising the Lord now. The Philippian church saw Paul live out his faith. They saw the power of someone who is running the race in such a way as to win the prize, to be the best, to do everything they can. And then when he says this, it's got to call something up in them. And so then the next couple verses, he does that directly. He says, verse 15 and 16, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. What is that view? Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus, which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're, we're called to grab hold of that. If you're mature, forget what's behind. Strain on for what's ahead. Grab hold of the goal. That's what he's telling them. You know, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if some of you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He's saying at least don't lose ground. At least stay at your peak. If you're not going to make a personal best today, at least don't lose any ground. Strain on. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Paul calls them up. Let's jump in up on that too, you know? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Forgetting what's behind. Straining on ahead. Going forward, believing that there's a better future, that there's more effectiveness, that there's things we can accomplish, that we can run in such a way as to win the prize. Let's jump in on that. Let's rise up and grab hold of everything God has for us. What does it mean for you to run in such a way as to win the prize today? What does that mean for you? Does it mean you finally surrender to God? Does it mean that you finally start your prayer journal and and you write down what God is doing in your life, what you're praying about, and how God answers those prayers. Maybe you start to volunteer and serve the Lord in, in some organized way. Maybe there's an answer to a ministry call that you finally have to step into, running in such a way as to win the prize. Maybe it's about rejecting that lie that you believed about yourself this whole time, and you're finally like, you know what? That's not even true. That's not who God made me. And you step into the fullness of your life, and you live like you mean it. Maybe it's just overcoming your past and, and taking the victory. What does it mean for you to run in such a way as to win the prize? Whatever it is, I hope, I hope there's an impression in your heart on what that would mean. Let's go get it. Let's pray. Let's trust God and let's run in such a way as to win the prize. So let's let's close this up with some prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you call us forward, that we can just let the past be behind us, our our failures and our accomplishments and all those things, and we can strain on towards a better future. Lord, help us to run in such a way as to win the prize. Lord, uh if there's those listening right now, those who are listening, who, who need to say yes to you, they've been resisting you or they've not pledged their, their faith in you, Lord, right now, I pray they would run in such a way as to win the prize, meaning that they finally surrender to you. And if that's you, then you just say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and I want to walk with you, and I want to run in such a way as to win the prize. 
guide me in this life. Help me to be effective and productive for your kingdom. Take me home to heaven one day. That's all you got. And then you got to live it out. And Father, for each of us, help us to see in our hearts what it means to run the race in such a way as to win the prize. And let us believe that we are capable of it because you are the one that lifts us up and empowers us and strengthens us and equips us. So Lord, help us to run in such a way as to win the prize. Lord, show us specifically that what that means for us and help us to grab hold of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.